0: We are in part five of our Connecting with God series. As you know, this year is 2020, the year of connecting. That means that we're gonna be going through the book of Ephesians, real slow, kind of line by line, and we are gonna be splitting that into two series. One is connecting with God. The other one is connecting to church, meaning connecting with one another. So in this series of connecting with God, we're in part five, and I entitled today's message a gracious deliverance, and I want to draw your attention to the fill-in-the-blank on the seat in front of you with just a couple thoughts. Uh, we human beings really mess stuff up, yeah? I mean, God had everything locked and loaded awesome, and we decided to choose ourselves as king. And when we chose ourselves as king, we disconnected from the only true source of life. We disconnected from God. And if you disconnect from life, what is the only other that's left? Death. Death. So we were in a serious, serious problem. Now, thankfully, God loves us so much, he was not cool with us wrecking our eternal existence. And so he launched a plan of redemption, meaning to get us back from wrecking ourselves. All right, that's what we wanna talk about. So the big question is this, are we individually, connected to the one that is the Savior? Do we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that fill in the blank in front of you is true? Connection brings redemption. Connection brings redemption. In this series, I'm going to be coming to you along with my other teachers Week after week, talking about, man, we need to be connected to God. It means this, it means that, it means another thing. All these gifts and presence and power are present for those that are connected to God. So would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Page 976, 976. If you wanna find it on your own, drop your Bible open in the middle, go to the right. You're gonna eventually hit books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're getting close, keep going to the right, and you'll eventually hit a book called Ephesians. We're looking for the big number one and the little number seven, and I'm gonna be reading for you seven through 10, but we're only gonna cover seven and eight today, all right? So let's just read the context. You can follow along with me in your Bible. I'll be reading out of the ESV. It says this, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you're already confused, welcome to the rest of the team. We're all confused. So what we're going to do is we're going to dial in on just two verses there, seven and eight, and we're going to tear them apart. And by the time we get done with this, you're going to know it backward and forward. It's going to be very easy But we have to unpack quite a bit, so let's jump right into it. Verses 7 and 8, let me read them again. In him, in Jesus, we have, and he lists three things. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it's all done according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. All right, so let's focus on the first, redemption. In him, in Christ, we have, we have them now. Real quick side note, one of the greatest things about the Bible is it centers you back to remember what is true, whether or not you feel it. See, if you're anything like me, my brain leaks. See, I will have something locked down and feeling super good about it, and then you give me a couple days and all these distractions and stuff come in, and suddenly I don't even remember what I'm thinking anymore, right? So I'll hear at church, right? Man, God loves me. And then I'll go through all kinds of difficulty, And then by the time we're at Wednesday, I'm wondering whether or not God loves me. Had it locked at one point, totally off by Wednesday, right? That is why we need the anchor of Scripture, because we go back and we say, listen, I don't feel this right now, but this is true whether I feel it or not. Y'all, if you are a child of God, and what I mean by that, I'm going to explain that heavily at the end of the message today. But if you are a child of God, and what that means is that you have said, Jesus, I don't have a plan for my afterlife. I don't have a plan for this life. I want to make you the king. I'm going to own up to who I am, which is ultimately a sham. I've been doing my own thing. I kicked you off the throne of my life, put myself on there, and I need to get off your seat and let you be back who you are supposed to be. If you have ever done that, and you allowed Jesus Christ to come into your life, and he is now your king. Everything I'm about to tell you is yours right now. I'm talking about redemption, I'm talking about forgiveness, and I'm talking about grace. That is a true reality for you right now. You go, I don't know if I feel that. Doesn't matter what you feel. It's what the Bible says, all right? So what do we have? What is redemption? Redemption's a bizarre term, in Hebrew. Why? Because it's three different words that get combined and used in different ways. By the time we get to Greek, it kind of shoves it down into a funnel, into meaning one particular thing. It means to release someone or something from captivity, usually by payment. In other words, you pay or you do something significant in order to set someone free that's what redemption means. Now, we have to be very careful because one of the ways you can understand redemption, one of the ways that it's used in the Old Testament means to buy back. So, for example, the term ransom, if you've ever heard that term, it means to pay someone for the release of someone else. Now, the problem with this is if you take it too far, you start asking yourself in your mind, hold up, who paid what? Wait, wait, wait. We know Jesus paid something. We find out he paid it in his blood, but who'd he pay it to? Because if it's really a ransom, who's the one holding mankind down. And if you ever get in your mind in a place where you're starting to say, well, then Jesus made a deal with the devil, and then God was like, hey, I'll give you my son if you'll give me my people back. That's garbage. That is not biblical. It's not appropriate. But do you understand how you could slide into some danger if you're not paying attention? You see, the word redeemer was also used when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, when he pulled the Hebrews out of the Egyptian empire when they were slaves. And I'll tell you this, God didn't make a bargain with anybody. He came in, brought the heat, and snapped the neck of the Egyptian empire, and they got out. Does that make sense? That is a better way to understand redemption. Who were we held down by? Interestingly enough, we were held down by sin. Sin actually was the enemy that Jesus was defeating there. And you go, then why do you keep using the term payment? Jesus paid for our sins. What do you mean payment? He paid who? Ready? Here we go. God paid God through God. What in the world does that mean? Y'all remember that there is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember that there is an interaction between them. Here's how it works. The Father when he created the world, set in motion a system we now refer to as justice. We say that things are right and wrong, good, bad, meaning that his nature was all that was good and right, and anything that's apart from his nature is wrong and bad. All right. In that system, he had to put out a law, a reality that says if you violate God you die. Why? Because to violate God is to move away from life, and it only leaves you death. That's where we get the famous phrase, the wages of sin is death. Y'all heard that phrase before? All right. It means if someone sins, someone dies. And if a human sins, a human dies. Y'all tracking on me? That's how the system of justice works. The Father set it out, And then after he has that decree, he then steps out from that mode and says, but because I love my creation so much, I will make a plan by which I can pay for their sins and free them from the wrath that is to come. And what he did is he looked over and said, I will send my only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Y'all heard that phrase before? All right. So what he did is he then said... I have the establishment of justice. I'm going to follow the establishment of justice, but I'm going to send my son so that he might pay that penalty to release us from the penalty we need to pay. In other words, the core of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sin and brokenness that we might have life. That's what it means. That's redemption, all right? of pieces on that. When we were in slavery to our sin, that we couldn't do otherwise. You see, you were born broken. We inherited it as a human race. You see, when Adam and Eve, our biggest and best champions, took a dive and decided to be selfish and do their own thing, They set in motion a problem in humanity, that we are broken in our nature. And so let's use, for example, let's call sin dust. You know, the whole thing about the way that God would work in the past was that he knew that at some point he was going to take care of the real issue, but until he got there, he did what the Bible calls atonement. You know what atonement means? It means to put the lid over. Here's the the analogy I'm using. Let's say your mom tells you to clean up and you're a child and you realize I need to sweep the floor but getting out the dustpan is a drag. So what you really want to do is you want to find the nearest carpet and what you do is you sweep. Now, if there's any kids in here, be writing this down. (laughs) When they're not looking, what you do is you sweep it and then instead of having to scoop it up and scoop it up and scoop it it up and put it in the dish, you just roll up The carpet, and you just sweep it under the rug. Lay the carpet back down, dust is all gone, right? Now, I think we're all clear that the dust isn't really gone, it's just covered over, right? So if you look throughout history, God said, all right, I'm going to give you an IOU. I'm going to put the dust under the rug, I'll cover over it for now, but at some point, we got a vacuum under the rug. Y'all following? All right. So what happened was, is that Jesus Christ came down here to fix the problem, because the real problem was we were dirt balls. (laughs) Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, a dirt ball only knows how to produce dirt. It's kind of what we are. So everywhere we went, we were spreading dirt all over the place. Now, even if we were the cleanest dirt ball, Right? I mean, even if we were trying to really keep our dirt to ourselves, we were still producing dirt. You can't do anything other if you're a dirt ball. So when Jesus came down, he had to say, listen, the dirt ball thing ain't working. We got to fix this. So he transformed dirt balls into humans. He then took them and made them born again. He then gave the reality of taking them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that we went from sinners to saints. He took us out of our nature of spreading dirt and he fixed our root because if the root isn't right, the fruit will always be wrong. So we had to dig down to the deepest level, transform us from the inside out, so that we might not produce dirt anymore. And that is what he did on the cross. Amen? Yeah, praise God. We are now free to pursue righteousness. We are now free to live without producing dirt we are now free to do what God says. And you're like, well, hold on, hold on. I've always been free to do that. I've always been free to do good stuff. I know people that don't know the Lord at all and they do good stuff all the time, correction. No, they do nice stuff. Good has to be God stuff. And if it was not done for the glory of God, it wasn't good stuff at all. So yeah, a lot of nice things are done, but they're not good, they don't count. You see, when you don't have Jesus Christ, when he has not lit you alive inside, when he has not lit the pilot light that would make you a spiritual being, when he has not created the eternal part of you, you are not connected to God to be able to do anything good. So all your stuff doesn't count, right? Praise the Lord that Jesus came and did exactly that. If you are a child of God today, Man, you should be praising the Lord every moment of your life. Wow, what a work he's done in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's move forward. So not only in him do we have redemption, but in him we have forgiveness of our trespasses. What are trespasses? They're sins. Why do they call them trespasses? Because there's a couple different ways to sin. The one he's talking about here is if they put up a sign that says, no trespassing, and you walk past it, yet sinned. That's what it means. All right. He has forgiven us our trespasses, meaning we did something knowingly wrong, and he paid for it. Well, that's kind of weird. What do you mean forgiveness? In the Bible, the biblical definition of forgiveness, how God ministers to us, is words like this. He pardoned us. He released us. As a matter of fact, it says, he put them behind his back and remembers them no more. He says he cast them as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you and I are not super good at forgiveness. What we do is we say, yeah, I'll forgive you, which means I'll let you off the hook right now, but if you do it again, I'm gonna pull that right back and throw it in your face because, man, I'm seeing a pattern here, right? But see, God, who's great at everything, is great at forgiveness and forgetting, meaning that we don't have the ability to forget. He has the ability to cut it off, send it away, and not deal with it anymore. How powerful God's forgiveness is would stun us if we would just dwell on it for a little bit. Man, he's good at forgiving. And when he forgave us, it says he did so in one dimension, but we still have another dimension. Let me explain this. Sin has two dimensions in our life. One is called positional. The other is called relational. Positional means the deepest core of us had to get fixed. We had to go from dirtball to human, right? Okay. He fixed the very core so that positionally, we are perfect in the eyes of God. Meaning, he went down to the very root, and whatever sin used to be there, he dug it all out, got rid of all of it, and we are now in a perpetual state of grace. And you start going, well, hold on. Man, I'm a mess. What do you mean I'm in a perpetual state of grace? Dude, I am screwing up every day. Oh, we know. (laughs) So what about that one? Well, that one is relational. And I want you to think about it this way. What's the difference between an employee and a child of the boss? You see, an employee has to continue to obey in order to retain their standing. You don't get to work here if you're going to disobey. If you disobey, I will fire you and we are not hanging out. But what if you're a child of the employer? Even if you mess up, you're still their child. In other words, your status does not change. But are you telling me that there's not going to be discipline from a good parent? Are you telling me that there's not a, whoa, 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 if you're going to keep acting like that, we're not going to go play anymore? Are you telling me that God's not going to hold us accountable for our sin? Are you telling me that we don't still need to confess our sins before him because he's going, man, you're acting like a brat. And while you're acting like that, we have a bit of a problem here. I'm not going to keep encouraging that behavior, so we need to halt right here. So when you go, I still feel like God's all over me because of my sin, He is. But for what reason? He loves you. The difference between discipline and wrath is one is restorative and the other one isn't. Wrath is not for God's kids anymore. That's why the Bible says we can be confident in the day of judgment that the wrath coming isn't for us. It's for the enemies of God. But when we mess up and we do so on purpose, our dad's still going to go, whoa, 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 that's not you. That is not your identity. Let's get right back to where we're supposed to be. Everyone tracking with me so far? All right, fantastic. Let's keep moving forward. We're going to spend the rest of our time on the third one, which is grace. Grace if we want to talk about forgiveness in a perpetual state we're referring to the state of grace here's what the bible says in him we have all of this according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us what is grace unearned undeserved blessing if he is nice to us and we don't deserve it at all it's called grace if he is releasing us when we should be condemned, that is grace. How did he do that? Well, we already learned that Jesus Christ paid for it, so that record has been cleared. But still, while we're being little punks running around the world, he's still being nice to us and blessing us, even though we're in process, right? That's the God that you serve. All right. Let me share a verse with a couple of verses with you. You can just listen to these, maybe write down. I'm not going to have you turn there. Hebrews 10:9, it says, by that, the new contract, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14: For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Here's what that means. Fancy words, for in one sense, he's made you perfect. In another sense, you're still in process, right? We'll talk about that. what that is. But the very important point is Romans 6.14. You are not under law, but you are now under grace, meaning your new world that you live in as a child of God is a world of grace. I have a diagram or an illustration to help you understand how this all works. So you ready for some pictures? Okay, very cool. So imagine for this analogy, and the Bible speaks in this term, that we are a tripartite being, meaning that we're what? Body, soul, and spirit. So we're gonna use this as an analogy. We're gonna start from the inside out. We have at the deepest place within us what we call a spirit. The spirit is the very core of our being in relation to spiritual matters. It's the place where God dwells. It is our temple on the inside. It is the very core of us that is eternal, right? Now, In that deepest place of us is the place where God says, I have made you born again. It's in that deep place where he turned the light on of eternal life. It's in that deepest place where he says, you are perfect in my eyes because of what Jesus has done for you. When he looks down on us and he looks into our spirit, the eternal part of us, we are perfect in his eyes. That is in a perpetual state of grace. If you are a child of God, you are in a perpetual state of perfection in your spirit. And you go, wow, that sounds awesome. Oh, it is. And you go, well, then how come I don't feel like that? Well, let's go to the next level out. We're going to call that your soul. Your soul is the part of you that you would define as the deep part of who you are. That's your personality. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. If you ever say, well, in my heart, I feel this, you're talking about your soul. Your soul is the part that kind of interacts with God, and it's the part that motivates you and drives you. When I talk about needing to get our Christian identity right, I'm trying to have our spirit match up with our soul i want our soul to match up with our spirit we're trying to have it all the same so that spirit inside as we surrender to god grows in influence and starts pushing outward and it starts shaping our personality it starts shaping our soul to look more and more like god right and you're like man i know christians they must not be doing any of this They are messed up, right? Like, ye, if God did a work, man, it's deep. (laughs) I can't see any of it. You're talking about the third level, which is what? Their body. The body is the visible part that we interact with the world. It's the part that we have in relationships. It's the part that everyone can see. That is going to be the last part that sees the transformation. Why? Because we're going from the inside out. As the spirit shapes the soul, the soul then has to be made in the image of God, and it starts pushing out and starts forming the body so that all three are in alignment. But man, that is some maturity. A lot of Christians have been saved and rescued by God, but they are still stupid and immature. Isn't that true? I'm referring to me. In other words, when you look over and you're like, I can't believe that Christian did that, you're probably not talking about the work that God did. You're probably talking about the fact that they're not in alignment with what God did. Right? I mean, isn't that the whole reason why we get mad when a person with a fish sticker cuts us off? (laughs) Oh, God died for you to drive bad? Is that what just happened? Right? In other words, you're saying that God hasn't done a good work in them. No, 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 he did a good work. The problem is it takes a while to get out and mature to a place where they are aligning in every way with who God is. But there's one really important thing about this diagram. Notice the lines. What do I mean? The spirit part is double-walled. In other words, the spirit part of us, nothing can get in there. The sin on the outside can't get in. That's God's area. Either he has it pure white or it's pure black. That's your only choices, meaning there's darkness or there's light. If it is light, he's not going to share that space with anybody. All right. That's double wall. But notice that the next layer is permeable. It has little dash lines. Why? Why? because sin from the outside starts affecting that and distractions and then we're trying to be shaped by God and that's where the battle's happening, right? Where we're going, man, I wanna be better. I wanna do more Christian stuff. I wanna, be, I wanna, I wanna pray more, I wanna read my Bible more, but I, I'm having a hard time growing up. That's the tension. You guys, that's not your spirit. That's your soul and your body at work. That is in process. So let's read that verse again. What did he say in Hebrews? He perfected for all time those in process. He perfected at the very core for all time, that's pure, but everything else is in process. The reason why this is so important is because of covenants. You go, what are you talking about? Well, I mean that some of us go, you know what? I know God saved me, but man, if I do bad stuff, he hates me if I do bad stuff, I'm no longer his kid. I'm kicked out. But that's not true. Why? Because we have a different covenant now. It used to be true. Let me explain this. This is crazy. You can take that visual down now. Old covenant versus new covenant. Anybody ever heard the phrase covenant? Yeah, okay. Now, covenant merely means contract. In the Old Testament, back when God created the world, his only church and the way that he would tell the world about himself was through a nation called Israel. Israel was the, really the only vocal box for God. Anyone in the world that wanted to come to get to know God had to go through the Jewish people. All right, so he had a contract with them. He came up with it and he, he set it out with Abraham, and then he locked it down with Moses, and this was the contract. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. So in other words, I am want to bless you, but a lot of it is contingent on whether or not you're going to play along. So it was an if-then contract. In other words, God's blessing that he wanted to do kept getting ruined by man's bad decisions. And so what he said was, if you follow me, I will bless your nation, I will make you wealthy, I will take care of you. But if you choose to follow another God, man, I'm gonna shut you down and it's not gonna go well for you. It was a blessings and curse contract. Now, you were like, oh, man, what if I blew it, but I really wanted to get back into the good side, but I know I didn't do it right. That's why God created the sacrificial system so that you could be atoned for, and it was swept under the rug, right? But it's still under there. Then one day, 2,000 years ago, God came in to handle it himself. God became flesh, fully God, fully man. Why? Why? Because if a human sins, a human dies. But if a bunch of humans sin, how are we going to cover all that? Jesus, in one fell swoop, was the man that was able to be sacrificed because it was man for man, but he was fully God so that his payment would go way over anything the human race could ever do. You see, that God-man reconciled and made a way and he said i'm launching a new contract here's how the new contract works you see the problem with the old contract is we're not very good at obeying so it kept ruining everything he said you know what in the new contract i'm taking you guys out of it now here's the new contract i'm going to bless you period okay i like that one better anyone want to go to the old testament No, no, we like the new one, why? Because he said, in this new contract, I'm gonna do it all, it's all dependent on me. Don't you dare take credit for it, because every time you try to bring something to the table, it doesn't count, it's not gonna be good enough. Therefore, it's all Jesus or nothing. It's not about whether or not you're good enough to maintain your own religion. The problem today is that we confuse the two contracts. Here's what we think. We are saved by grace, but we maintain it by obedience. What's the problem with that? You should be eternally insecure. Why? Because you're not good at it. If it's truly dependent on you, you're going to hell. Just letting you know right now. Like, let's be honest with that, right? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm not gonna cut it. What I need is the grace of God that Jesus said, I paid it all. And you're like, whoa, 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 this is mind-blowing. Wait, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that it's so extravagant that it seems so wasteful for God to be able to do that kind of grace that it would blow your mind. You see, in our missional community groups this week, those are our small groups. We're going to be talking about that diagram. What does it really mean if our inside is truly pure and we're truly a child of God for the rest of our lives and our obedience doesn't change our status? What does that mean? But the other thing we're gonna talk about in our groups is then what does God do with sin? Because we're still doing it. How does that work? Like now that we're good forever, we can just go be a Yahoo and just run around and be a psychopath? Like, is that what you're telling me? Nope, that's not what I'm telling you. Obedience matters, but don't mix covenants. Let me give you an example. A rich young ruler... This guy's super wealthy, super influential, comes up to Jesus and he asks a question. What was the question? Sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember Jesus' response? It was a little bit weird. He said, obey the commandments. Why would he say that? Because is that what he would say to us? No, why? He hadn't died yet. You see, it was still in an Old Testament, old contract way. Things were still being swept under the rug. He hadn't vacuumed yet. So he responded in an old school mindset and said what? Obey the commandments. Then the guy's like, nailed it. Remember what he said next? Okay, if you want to be perfect, meaning if we're going the old school way and you want to do it to the T, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Why would he say that? Because in an Old Testament mindset, that's exactly what you would do. But what was interesting is notice the caveat at the end. Follow me. What was his point? Because I'm about to change everything. Now, let's fast forward to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the gospels, yeah? Then Acts, Romans, and the rest of it goes. What's the difference between... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All of a sudden, God changed everything and the new contract went into play. How do we know that? Because Jesus, when doing what we call communion, said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He hadn't shed it yet. So he's talking about what's about to happen. This is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sins. He's about to vacuum under the rug and launch a whole new way of doing things. So Jesus talked about the old contract. By the time we get to the book of Acts, another man asks the same question. Paul and Silas, two missionaries, are in a jail. They're worshiping the Lord and a mighty earthquake hits and all the jail doors spring open. The jailer knows that according to Roman law, he's gonna get executed for the loss of his prisoners. So he panics, he's ready to kill himself, and Paul and Silas go, hold up, hold up. No, 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 we're all here. We're good. You don't have to do that. He then sees their life testimony and asks them a question. Do you remember what the question was? Sirs, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question, but now we're under the new contract. So what was the answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. How do you enter into the new contract? Faith, belief in Jesus Christ, letting him be who he really is in your life for real. When you are in that contract, you are transferred and adopted into the family of God, and you live under a perpetual state of grace. So what happens to sin now? I mean, because isn't that where we always kind of default to? So, so like, like if I do something wrong, like I'm, I'm real, I'll go murder somebody, right? Which please don't go there right away, okay? Yeah. I'm the only one in my mind immediately like, I'll murder someone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everyone else is like, I was going to steal something. You're weird. What is wrong with you? let's say you're going to do that, what happens is a shift now that obedience matters because of alignment with who you are. Your behavior is less the cause of your state, but more of a revealer of your state. In other words, if you're cool sinning and doing all your own stuff for you, is Jesus really the Lord of your life? It now just reveals what's really going on on the inside. So if you're like, man, I can do whatever I want, boom, you just prove that you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Why in the world would you do that? He is the love of your life. He's the Savior, and you told him he's the king. If you're constantly violating him, how in the world is he the king? In other words, your actions betray what's going on on the inside. You can't play any games. God already knows. Does your actions and attitudes matter? Of course it does. Why? You're a child of God. He's gonna hold you accountable and he's gonna punish you for the stuff that's out of alignment. Why? Because he loves you and wants you to be everything he built you to be. But he doesn't take it lightly. See, here's the thing. We always still believe that forgiveness from God means it wasn't a big deal. That's a mistake. Oh, it's always a big deal. As a matter of fact, our sin was such a big deal, it killed the Son of God. So never play, oh, I'm just on house money, right? Like, woo, whatever. He's just letting it go. Like now that it's like, okay, fine, you can do whatever you want. No, the only reason you're still in good standing with God is that your, what? Your record of wrongs now has a stamp called Jesus all the way across it. Oh, someone's dying for your sin. It's just not you. Should we take advantage of that? Certainly not. But let's be very clear. Christianity is not a religion. We do not do good things in order to get in good standing with God. He did good things. We have been redeemed, and now we live out obedience because of our love and relationship to him. You see, if you're still asking what you can get away with, your heart has not been won. If you are constantly asking the question, what might I do to honor the great Savior and King of my life, your root is good. Make sense? Two people think so. So what happens if we do mess up relationally with the Lord and he's disappointed? First of all, he's never shocked, right? What, you sin? I never saw that. He's never shocked. Whenever you come to him and you own up to what you did, he was watching the whole time. So what happens if we relationally mess up? Well, there's a couple verses for that. Here's one that's really important to keep in your back pocket. 1 John nine. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You go, well, maybe that's talking about just that one time when I got saved, he cleansed all that stuff. Hold on. 1 John 2, 1 through 2, I'm writing these things to you, church, so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, no matter when the sin comes, God wants to keep a connection. But he needs you to own up to what you did. Why? Because you need to own up to what you did. Can I have the prayer team coming up here? You see, what I'm gonna be launching forward in, in this whole series is the amazing things that God has done for his children. But that feels very awkward to me if not all of us are his kiddos, right? In other words, I don't feel comfortable bragging about what God did for me if it is not true for you. So I will only be peaceful once everyone within the sound of my voice is a child of God. So what an awesome day to have a birthday, right? Today is your day. If you cannot confidently say, absolutely, the only reason God's gonna let me into heaven is because Jesus paid it all. If you can't confidently say, he's my Lord and savior, man, I am a mess, I'm in process, but man, he is good. If you cannot say with confidence, that is my father and I am his child. If you can't say that with confidence, today's the day to make that a reality. Today is the day where you get to say, he's my dad. It's not about your spouse. It's not about your parents. It's not about your kids. It's not about your neighbors. It's not about your coworkers. It's about you personally. Can you personally say, that's my Lord? and he has done all this for me. If you need that forgiveness, that grace, that cleansing, that let's begin again. If you need that, I gotta be born again and turn from a dirt ball into a real boy. If you are that type of person, then today is a beautiful day because today's the day of salvation, amen? (laughs) Amen. If you have questions about how to begin a walk with God, how to allow him into your heart, how to own up to what we really are, how to get off the throne of your life and let him on there, that's what this prayer team is for. We have a whole team right up here up front waiting to answer that question or just to pray with you whatever you need. So when I say amen, I got one announcement and then boom, the altar is open. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we are so thankful for what you have done. You keep rescuing us from ourselves. Your love never seems to let you shake it. You always seem to chase after us and say, what about now, what about now? God, I pray that your love would overwhelm everyone that can hear my voice so that they might know that you put in motion a plan to save them individually. This is not about a collective effort. This is an individual mission that you are seeking them right now with your love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and making all this possible. Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be moving forward if it wasn't for your power. So we give you, God, all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.